Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.15 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 29th of May, 2020. Bitcoin go brr. No, seriously, seriously, man. Uh, being this is episode uh, 244, we're going to do this one from Cal Wang. It's, uh, I believe it's QWQIAO on Twitter. Says, today I learned BRR is the ticker for both the Bitcoin index on CME and the Bitcoin future in interactive brokers. Literally, the ticker symbol is the meme, money printer go burr. <laughs> <laughs> I I I really really enjoy this. So, um let's let's begin today by talking a little bit about Bitcoin history. This uh segment that I'm going to do here <clears throat> predates my entry into Bitcoin by like a few I think it's a few months. Uh we're going to talk about the bear whale. Now, if you don't know the history of the bear whale, then this one, uh, hopefully this one will be interesting for you. And you should know this one because there's more to the bear whale story than just a, a dude chilling out, trying to drive the price down by selling an ass ton of Bitcoin in this massive cell wall that was evaporated by the rest of the Bitcoin community who was saying, no, we will not allow bears to survive here. Uh, there's, I mean, if you know that part of the history, then you might know the rest of it, but I sure as shit didn't. And if I didn't, probably a good bet that some of you guys don't either. And this is, in fact, the, the second part of this segment is going to be absolutely more important than the first, especially if you know the story of the bear whale, but don't know all the story of the bear whale. We're going to start with this video that I found on YouTube that kind of goes through the entire history, but we're only going to do the part of the bear whale story, or we're going to do the part of this that represents sort of what was going on during all the selling and the buying of the corn. In the early morning on the 6th of October, the price suddenly slipped below 320, as a market sell order of 2,000 Bitcoin instantly sends the price tumbling to $300. Panic quickly spreads and grasps the market, and 10 minutes later, another sell order for around 24,000 Bitcoin hits the Bitstamp order books at $300. A seemingly insurmountable wall valued at $7.2 million dwarfs the bids. Almost immediately, however, a shift occurs. People stop selling and, in an unwritten understanding, come together. 
to take on something bigger than themselves. Buy orders begin hitting the books, chipping away, but for every coin that was bought, another seemed to take its place. Others set up their own buy walls to try and absorb selling pressure, attempting to push the price lower. These defences are rocky at first, but hold steady for the most part, dipping only slightly here and there. One hour passes, the wall unmoving and unflinching ominously continues to sit, neither side showing signs of giving in. Two hours turns into three as the night draws on, the wall finally beginning to shift slightly, dipping below 2,000 bitcoin, with thanks to a few large sporadic buy orders of over 1,000 bitcoin each. At 4.30 UTC, price begins to slip another couple of percentage points, but just as it seems the defences are breaking, another 1,000 bitcoin buy order fills the books, keeping on with pressure and rallying support in a show of confidence. This wall was going to fall. At 5.40 UTC, less than 15,000 bitcoin remain. Buy orders are flooding the order book. No matter how small, everyone is doing their part. 20 minutes later, a market buy of 3,000 Bitcoin pulls the wall to below 10,000. Five minutes after that, a cascade of orders flood the books, buying up over 8,000 Bitcoin. And by 6.10, it's all over. In total, 34,410 Bitcoin, valued at $10,323,000, was sold by the bear whale. Okay, that gentleman that you just heard talking has a YouTube channel. It's uh, Franklin Crypto. Franklin, F-R-A-N-K-L-Y-N, and then a space, and then bracket, crypto, end bracket. All right, so he, he the piece is about 13 minutes long because he goes into a lot more of the stuff. And it was due to Franklin that I was able to pick up this Reddit post that was written three years ago. All right, so this is actually written by the underscore bear whale on Reddit. That'd be user or rather you forward slash the underscore bear whale. And it says, I am the bear whale UASF now. <laughs> a signed version of this message can be found here. And then he gives a pastebin.com link to it. And that signed message is coming apparently from the wallets or the wallet, whatever was involved in these massive sales. So it's with high amount of certainty that this is in fact the bear whale. He says, hello, I am the bear whale. After a series of bad experiences with the banking system, I invested most of my life savings into Bitcoin when the price was fairly low, around $8. For years, I was a hodler. I was hodling when trend and shavers ripped everyone off. I was hodling when the price was over a thousand and after, and I held after Mt. Gox imploded. I believed strongly in Bitcoin's decentralized promise of displacing immoral national currencies. The price kept drifting downwards until finally at a little over $300, I had enough. I sold off everything based on an accumulation of information I had gathered mostly from social media such as bitcointalk.org and reddit now here comes a bullet list now remember okay if you didn't catch that he sold off everything based on an accumulation of the following information he got on bitcoin talk and reddit bullet point number 1 the block size limit of 1 megabyte was a threat to bitcoin's future 
Two, Satoshi's vision was unlimited block sizes. Three, Gavin was ousted by a cabal of self-interested engineers, a.k.a. Blockstream. Four, Blockstream took control of Bitcoin's source code repository. Five, Thamos colluded with Blockstream to censor block size increase discussions. The subreddit rbitcoin heavily censored block size increase discussions. Blockstream wanted the block size low to promote its proprietary lightning network. Gregory Maxwell was a bad actor and Luke Jr. was a religious nut. The market agreed with the above, leading to the then decline in price towards 300. Okay, that ends those bullet points. He goes on, at this point, I should state that I am a highly technical person. I understand all the math behind the Bitcoin white paper and the software that powers it. Although I am not a security expert, nor am I a cypherpunk, only a little experience in the type of adversarial thinking necessary to be a competent steward of the technology. I don't regret selling, as I made an enormous profit. The decision was a rational one based on available information. However, in 2017, I went all in on Bitcoin again. And here's why. None of the supposed facts which motivated my decision to sell were correct. It was all a carefully crafted and funded disinformation campaign launched by Roger Ver and his cronies, perhaps Jihan Wu, to discourage improvements to the Bitcoin protocol to achieve financial gain at the expense of the community. Once I recognized the moves to discredit the core developers for what it was, a covertly operated smear campaign fought on social media, funded by enormous enrichment from Bitcoin, carried out with sock puppets and appeals to emotion, I looked at Bitcoin and the greater community again with a more critical eye, and I came to these following conclusions. Bullet list number two. Bitcoin is working great. Look at the fees people are willing to pay. Resistance to poorly thought out protocol changes is a feature, not a bug. Core developers are highly competent from reading the mailing list. Segwit is incredibly well engineered to create the least network disruption. The subreddit r forward slash BTC is filled with negativity and meaningless meaningless attack. Roger Ver is a con man who uses his Bitcoin.com domain to push his agenda. Bitcoin mining is centralized due to Bitmain's temporary monopoly on retail hardware. ASIC Boost is an exploit which has broken some economic incentives of Bitcoin. Absent Bitmain, Bitcoin, the currency, is far superior to altcoins. End bullet list number two. Although I am, of course, an adult fully responsible for my decisions, I want to make it clear that Roger Ver's agenda was successful at convincing me that Bitcoin had a governance crisis and was at risk of being overtaken by altcoins. My reason for this open letter is simple. I want the community to know that I fully support the core developers. I am strongly in favor of UASF as a mechanism for limiting or yeah, limiting the centralizing effect of minor control illusions. I support SegWit as a sensible technology for moving Bitcoin forward. I reject a block size increase hard fork at the present time. I reject a phony compromise <laughs> and I especially resent and reject a consortium of suits coming to an agreement on what source code base will be named Bitcoin without the code base being thoroughly vetted over a suitable long time frame by industry professionals. Those industry professionals include Greg Maxwell and most of the people who participate regularly on the Bitcoin developers mailing list and contribute pull requests to the Bitcoin core repository. <clears throat> the TLDR, I am the bear whale. 
I sold Bitcoin for the wrong reasons. And now I am all in and long Bitcoin again. Okay, there you go. That's the post by what we, I mean, I'm going with it as being the actual bear whale because there's a, there's a signed message from it. All right. It, I mean, it's like, uh, let's see, where's the SIG? Yeah, it, he gives uh, the keys or not, well, not the private keys, but he gives the, the public signature that was attached to the wallets that uh, apparently sold all this shit. So anyway, I found this really eye-opening in, in the fact that we are, you know, we're a few years away from all the stuff that happened with the scaling debates, SegWit, UASF, we're, we're a ways away from that. But I guarantee you that if we forget that history, that there were some people that were continuously deluded, or rather the delusions of some people with a shit ton of money and, uh, I don't know, fame, power, whatever you want to call it, was able to um, bamboozle people such as the bear whale. And if you remember that that audio piece that I played, you're talking 35,000 Bitcoin that he, as if we can believe him, that he mostly bought at $8 and we're selling up right around 300. And the whole community came together to attack said bear whale and slayed the living shit out of him. So, it, but the most important part is this post. At least that's that. I believe that this is, you know, indicative of so many people that have been bamboozled by the people in the space that have a vested interest for whatever reason in not allowing Bitcoin to go on its natural path. All right. So that's, that's the bear whale news. Um, let's see, what is, is there anything else for community? Uh, yeah, just, just, a um, uh, just to make sure in case you didn't know, Electrum X <clears throat> is an implementation of, Ele- uh, of Electrum. And apparently the lead maintainer of Electrum X is now has lost his mind and all implementations going forward uh, or all uh, versions of Electrum X going forward is going to be, God forbid, BSV only. I mean, as if you, d- you skipped right over BCH. I mean, talk about like running right past the the kill wall and into the gaping maw of hell itself. This dude went right for it, man. So Electrum X is going to be BSV going forward. Now, now the uh, developers of Electrum are going to maintain a fork of Electrum X that supports BTC, you know, actual Bitcoin. So just if you hadn't heard that, if you're running Electrum X, you need to start looking into you know how you're going to proceed uh, going forward. If you're not using Electrum X for any reason whatsoever, then you know you don't really have to worry about it. Anyway, that's going to do it for community news. Let's get into the morning roundup. First mover. Bitcoin rally shows traders don't care that Goldman Sachs 
hates their asset class. And as I tweeted out earlier today, a well-placed pause turns Goldman Sachs into Goldman Sachs. Okay, that's how I normally refer to those jokers. This is Bradley Kuhn and Amkar Godbol, which is one of the coolest names ever, writing for Coindesk sometime, is it today? Yeah, sometime this morning. Cryptocurrency traders don't seem to care that Goldman Sachs is such a Bitcoin hater. At least that's the signal markets are sending. Bitcoin prices have surged since the Wall Street Heavyweights Money Management Division declared a presentation this week that the cryptocurrency is, quote, not a suitable investment to our clients, end quote, merely a beneficiary of mania, worse than the infamous run on Dutch tulips in the 1600s. Okay, just a small pause to let you guys understand, you know, so that you guys understand that the, the Dutch tulip bubble lasted two years, maybe. We're in at, we're sitting on 11, okay? We're sitting on 11 years. Let that sink in. Uh, you're reading for, oh, the, the bullish market reaction shows crypto traders largely shrugged off Goldman's bearish commentary, doubling down on Bitcoin while spewing vile commendations and ridicule of the analysis on Twitter. On Thursday, Bitcoin rose more than 2% to about 9,400. The price is now up 33% in 2020 versus a 6.2% decline on the year for the S&P 500 index of large U.S. stocks. Goldman's own shares are down 12%. One cryptocurrency trader even speculated Goldman may have weighed in on Bitcoin because the Wall Street firm's clients were begging to know whether they should jump in or put another way if they were at risk of missing, missing out on future rallies. The global backdrop is that investors are desperately seeking ways to make money with interest rates on U.S. Treasury bonds close to historic lows. Buoyant stock market valuations don't seem to reflect the economic devastation from the coronavirus. Bitcoin might be getting a closer look from big money managers and rich families following reports earlier this month that legendary hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones is now betting on the asset. Investors also might be looking at the year-to-date returns and wondering why Goldman didn't steer them towards Bitcoin sooner. <laughs> it's called malfeasance. <laughs> Quote, Goldman Sachs would not have put together this fancy presentation without demand or questions about crypto from clients, said Denis Vinokurov, head of research at the London-based digital asset firm Bquant. Patrick Linehan, a Goldman spokesman, said the presentation speaks for itself, declining to comment further. Invented just 11 years ago, Bitcoin has already smeared egg on a lot of prominent naysayers' faces. Past performance, of course, is no guarantee of future success. But the list of casualties includes the billionaire investor Warren Buffett, who in February described the cryptocurrency as having no value, only to see the shares of his own conglomerate Berkshire Hathaway tumble 18% this year as Bitcoin rose. It goes without saying, as Goldman's investment analyst pointed out, that Bitcoin prices can be extremely volatile. Well, welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker. That might just be the nature of new technologies. Volatility isn't uncommon among many small cap tech companies whose stock were taken public by investment bankers working for Goldman and its Wall Street competitors. Amazon.com shares tumbled 80% amid the dot-com crash of 2000, long before the internet commerce giant eclipsed department stores, including Sears, which filed for bankruptcy in 2018. Another U.S. department store chain, JCPenney, filed for bankruptcy protection earlier this month as sales diminished because of coronavirus-related lockdowns. Now, that was just the nail in the coffin. Those things were dying, like Macy's. Macy's was never going to be saved, and coronavirus or not, that son of a bitch might have made it for one more Christmas or something like that 
but nothing was going to save Macy's. This, this coronavirus thing just killed that which was dying and is going to continue to kill that which is in the process of already dying. All right. It didn't cause the death. It just finished the freaking job. But many big sophisticated investors are comfortable with risk as long as the potential rewards look attractive enough. Long-term growth is the goal. On that count, Bitcoin's market cap has grown 11-fold since the end of 2016 to $173.7 billion. Over the same period, Goldman's own market cap has fallen to $69 billion from about $95 billion. Jill Carlson, co-founder of the Open Money Initiative and an investor in early-stage startups with Slow Ventures, wrote Thursday in an op-ed for Coindesk that Goldman's report contained so many flaws that it's not worth detailing every misconception or failed bit of logic. Whoa. According to her LinkedIn profile, she's worked as a credit trader at Goldman in the early 2010s. That representatives have not adequately articulated the defining attributes and uses of this paradigm-shifting technology might be a fault of the crypto industry, Carlson added. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg addressing questions about the proposed Libra stablecoin at an annual shareholder meeting on Wednesday, noted how slow the traditional finance system has been to upgrade the plumbing behind payments. The infrastructure around payments hasn't been updated in a very long time, Zuckerberg said. The broader question might be whether Goldman risks falling behind a fast-evolving digital asset industry that, by some accounts, aims to disrupt Wall Street and potentially displace it, or if the firm's clients risk missing out on a big rally with quick-to-pivot Wall Street eventually embracing cryptocurrencies as a promising asset class. Quick-to-pivot? Whoa, <laughs> I don't think so. These clients have certainly missed out on the rally this year. And then there's a tweet from our ever-favorite Peter Schiff who says, Bitcoin bugs are dismissing Goldman Sachs' harsh words about Bitcoin. Seeing the rebuff is further confirmation that bankers only bash Bitcoin out of fear and ignorance. But if you are counting on institutional adoption to push Bitcoin prices higher, Goldman's view is important. No, Peter, it's not. Jesus, you know, again, I would listen to a winner of the fucking Darwin Award before this idiot with his Nobel Prize. Honestly, seriously, that's not an exaggeration. Prices are yet to move out of a symmetrical, uh, symmetrical triangle pattern on the daily chart represented by trend lines connecting the May 10th and 25th lows and May 7th and 18th highs, a break above the upper end uh, of the contracting triangle currently at 97.80 would imply a continuation in the rally from the March low of 3,867 and could lead to a convincing move to the February high of 10,500. And that's, they go into a little bit more market analysis, but this show is not about market analysis. It's about the snooze you can use and talk about a snooze, man. Do Kleeman's lawyer seize on new evidence of Craig Wright's, quote, fabrication. You mean forgery, lies, fraudulent behavior? Yeah, yeah, you spelt all that wrong. Andrew Fenton, writing for Cointelegraph yesterday, says, The Kleeman Estates legal team has entered into evidence this week of this week's revelation that 145 addresses claimed by Craig Wright are not controlled by him. They filed a notice of supplementary evidence supporting their motion for sanctions against Wright earlier this morning, adding to their laundry list of complaints against the Satoshi claimant. They said the new evidence further proves the CSW filed list is not a list of Wright's Bitcoin public addresses, but is instead a purposeful fabrication by him. 
The Kleeman estate is suing Wright over the Bitcoin he allegedly mined in partnership with the late Dave Kleeman. On May 24, 2020, an unknown actor posted a message signed with the private keys to the addresses on the CSW file list saying, quote, Craig Stephen Wright is a liar and a fraud. He doesn't have the keys used to sign this message. We are all Satoshi. <laughs> the coins and the addresses were mined between May 10th, 2009 and January 10th, 2010, with each holding the original block reward of 50 BTC, adding up to $64 million worth combined. The plaintiffs quoted Bitcoin expert Andreas Antonopoulos' declaration that you cannot sign a message in this way unless you have the private key to those addresses. BSV supporters believe the message was from an early Bitcoin developer, Greg Maxwell, who they claim has a vendetta against Wright. BSV's billionaire benefactor, Calvin Ayer, claimed the addresses are not on the official sealed and final list. Quote, he presented an early list that was all possible ones his could be that is public. God, dude, this guy cannot write, dude. It's sad. Whenever, whenever I write, uh, read Calvin Ayer's uh, tweets, I mean, I, I I make mistakes. Everybody I know on Twitter makes mistakes. Everybody I know that's ever written a paper has made mistakes. But this dude consistently cannot string fucking words together. And he's a billionaire. You know why? Because he took degenerate gambler's money and he was able to sleep at night because of it. It wasn't because he was brilliant. It's because he has no problem being evil. Okay, let's try this again. He presented an early list that was all possible ones his could be that is public. And then later when he was clear on his, he filed this in court, but it's sealed. So not public. No of the, no of the blocks Maxwell and other fraudsters are using to attack Craig are on the valid sealed list. No of the blocks. Yeah. No of the block. Oh my God, this guy, I swear. Okay, so that's the end of the quote. However, as the plaintiff's supplement makes clear, the CSW filed list was mistakenly filed by them on the public document, giving the unknown actor access to them, and the 145 addresses are indeed on it. The motion contains an extensive footnote on this, presumably in case the courts felt this mistake was a little too convenient to be believable. The plaintiffs have already argued that the list was a forgery intended to deceive plaintiffs on, of this court and that right created it to avoid sanctions pursuant to this court's order. They said the new evidence further proves the list is not an accurate listing of rights Bitcoin and that he still is hiding the true list from plaintiffs and the court. Said simply, Wright represented these 145 addresses were part of his Bitcoin holdings and were locked in an inaccessible encrypted file this week the person that actually controls the private keys to those addresses used those private keys, thus proving the addresses do not belong to Wright. End quote. While the new evidence was seized upon by many in the crypto Twitter, uh, on crypto Twitter as demonstrating once and for all that Wright is not Satoshi, that's not the position of the Kleeman team, of course, because I fully believe Kleeman was hired by Wright. That's some tinfoil hattery, but we'll just go past that. Okay. While the new evidence was seized upon, oh, they still believe he has access to considerable BTC wealth and demand a share of it based on Wright's alleged partnership with Dave Kleeman in mining the BTC. Last week, they argued that Wright has access to the BTC holdings in question. 
Despite Antonopoulos's evidence, the person who signed the message had access to the private key. Decrypt Today quoted Bitcoin developer Renee Pickard as saying that it was still possible the addresses had been exploited. Quote, of course, security might be compromised and the signatures could only be created for this particular message, but not for potential coin transfers. So that's, yeah, that's a little interesting. But yeah, um, Here's here's my question in general, and no, I'm not I'm not going to get into the tinfoil hattery about how I I think it's possible that Wright, the legal team, and Calvin Air are in cahoots with the legal team. Maybe not the legal team, but at least with um, the estate of Dave Kleeman and his brother Ira. Somehow or another, I think I don't know. It's possible there's collusion there that they paid him to bring this suit so that the, that. Craig Wright and his ego can stand in the spotlight for as long as humanly possible. Because the more you tell a lie, the more likely it is to be believed as truth. That's just the way shit works. No, not that part. Here's my real question. Calvin Ayer claimed that the addresses are not on the official sealed and final list. As far as I know, Calvin Ayer is not actually part of the lawsuit. He's not named as a defendant. He's clearly not in the on the uh, on the other side, with the the prosecutorial side. He's not a member of the court, and he's not a member of the legal team that is representing Craig Wright. He's not part of that legal firm. How the fuck does Calvin Air know what's on the list that is sealed by the court? Because if he's privy to that information, that's a problem unless he's named as a defendant or he's on the other side of the aisle or he's a member of the court or he is hired by the law firm to engage as part of the legal team in this thing he has absolutely no right and it's not allowed for him to see anything in the court now if craig told him Directly, that's a, that would be, in my opinion, I don't know, but it seems pretty clear that you can't do that. You, I mean, if it's sealed by the court, then only the members of that particular court and the case that's being heard in the course has a right for that information. Anybody outside of that realm? No. So ask yourself the question, how the hell does Calvin Ayer know what the hell's on that list? Just just saying, man. Just just saying. Kraken Bitcoin strategist is eager to roll out Lightning Network support. Kraken to get the lightning. Wilford Michael is writing this for Coinfomania. Coinfomania. I've never seen this one before. I might have to put it on my list of news agencies. <clears throat> and he's writing this. When is this? When did this come out? Yeah, this came out yesterday. U.S.-based cryptocurrency exchange Kraken will most likely roll out support for the Bitcoin Lightning Network before the end of this year, according to the company's Bitcoin strategist, Pierre Rochard. Rochard revealed that plans were in place to support Bitcoin's most prime scaling solution in a Wednesday tweet response to an inquiry for a clear time, timeline regarding when Kraken plans to integrate the technology, which has been around for a few years. Uh, while Richard did not disclose further details about the plans Lightning Network feature on Kraken, 
He, or rather, it is worth recalling that he explained to Coinfomania in a recent interview that one of his roles at the exchange company is to consult with the teams across Kraken implementing and supporting Bitcoin products. Meanwhile, when Kraken does roll out support for the Bitcoin Lightning Network, it will become uh, of the oldest exchanges apart from Bitfinex to support the off-chain scaling solution, which many believe will finally put Bitcoin in contention for use in micropayments by mainstream users. At the time of writing, data from 1ml.com shows that the Lightning Network had a 930.26 BTC capacity, a figure that is below the 10,050 BTC mark recorded in April of 2019. On the bright side, the number of nodes on the network has increased to 12,890, over a 35% increase within the last 12 months. Nice. So Kraken looking square in the face at getting some lightning support. That'll be that'll be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Federal judge merges two cases against Ripple. Dude, this is not the pull request you're looking for, pal. Anatol Anatovici is writing this for book book bitcoinist.com sometime this morning. Ah Earlier this week, a federal judge ordered a case against Ripple and its CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, be consolidated with a class action led by Bradley Sostak. In civil law, consolidation involves the merger of two or more cases that are similar in nature in order to optimize the judicial resources. At the beginning of May, Puerto Rican company Bitcoin Manipulation Abatement filed a suit against Ripple and its CEO. The little-known firm accused the company of violating U.S. federal rules when it distributed the XRP token. Specifically, BMA alleges that Ripple sold XRP as an unregistered security and misled investors by engaging in false advertising. Yeah, they have. I'm sorry, but they have. On Thursday, Judge Phyllis Hamilton of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California required that BMA's case be consolidated with a putative class action. The latter was initiated by Bradley Sostak in May of 2018. Sostak also accused Ripple of selling XRP as an unregistered security, thus breaking securities law. Hamilton considered that the two suits should be reviewed together, especially when they have the same defendants. She noted that the BMA's allegations were materially identical to those in the class action. The judge commented, quote, Relating the BMA action to this action would avoid the duplication of labor and conflicting results that might otherwise arise. Plainly a core contention at issue in this litigation, whether XRP qualifies as a security under federal and California state law, is novel and nuanced. While the court is less concerned about potentially conflicting results, its determination of that core contention, in addition to that of the other questions presented in this action will require significant labor. As of the class action led by Sostak, it has been around for more than two years. Uh, The plaintiffs accused Ripple of failing to register its token with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, creating 100 billion XRP out of nothing and launching an initial coin offering that has no end. At the end of last year, Ripple wanted to dismiss the class action suit. Garlinghouse's company claimed that the accusations exceeded the three-year deadline stipulated in the statute of repose in federal securities law. Basically, the plaintiff should have acted within three years after the launch of XRP, Ripple noted. Nevertheless, in February, Judge Hamilton let the case move forward. She asked for more details about the allegedly fraudulent claims related to the token. The plaintiffs responded with an amended complaint about two months ago. They said that Ripple intentionally overstated XRP's actual utility as a bridge currency for cross-border payments. So there you go. 
Again, not the pull request you're actually looking for, pal. That, you know, this is, this doesn't really look all that good for XRP. I mean, even though the, the reasoning behind this is to, you know, I don't know, mitigate the duplication of labor. The fact that these two cases are almost identical in the eyes of the court, I can't see that as going down well. I really don't. Again, not investment advice, but dudes, if you're holding the bags of XRP, I'd probably punch out. Kraken CEO says Bitcoin would be worth $1 trillion if the masses knew the power of cryptocurrency. This is written by the Daily Hodel staff for the Daily Hodel sometime this morning. CEO of U.S.-based crypto exchange Kraken says he believes Bitcoin is on the cusp of a new long-term rally to $100,000. In a new, well, sorry, in a new conference call hosted by Pantera, Jesse Powell says the masses don't yet understand the importance of Bitcoin scarcity and independence from banks and middlemen. He expects that to change in the decade ahead if and when the value of the dollar dwindles. Quote, I don't think Bitcoin is even priced into Bitcoin. <laughs> I love it, dude. Um, I don't think Bitcoin is even priced into Bitcoin. Most people have heard about Bitcoin, but they don't own any Bitcoin. They don't know what the future of Bitcoin is. I think if everyone knew about Bitcoin and the potential of Bitcoin and how great it was, the price would be a trillion dollars a Bitcoin. <laughs> Come on, dude. We, we would all just be switched over to Bitcoin and not be using anything else. I think that there's a lot that's not priced in, even though it's predictable, like what the future is. 10 years down the road, the US dollar is going to continue to be printed like crazy. It's going to be totally worthless. No one is going to want it. Everyone is going to want Bitcoin, but that's not priced in because of perceived risks or perceived uncertainty about the future, regulation, about how does the government respond in different situations as Bitcoin continues to develop and how useful does it actually become? End quote. Kraken is already witnessing an explosion of institutional trading. According to Powell, BTC will likely hit $100,000 in about two years. Quote, I believe that we're in a completely unprecedented time in terms of the global political and economic systems. I believe that this is going to continue to drive a pretty massive shift into digital currency I don't, or I think the next couple of years will likely see one BTC exceed $100,000. Just anecdotally in the last two months, we've seen a huge surge in new accounts from institutions. I think, again, I mentioned it earlier, something that's preventing more institutions from getting in is just uncertainty around the regulatory situation. I think many are in a wait and see mode, maybe, or many may be trying to have their mandates changed to allow them to invest in this asset class, but I do think it's coming. I think that more LPs are going to demand that their GPs invest in crypto. I think it's going to come from the bottom up. The returns are just so hard to ignore. It seems irresponsible not to have crypto be a piece of your portfolio, end quote. Despite his optimism, Powell says that right now cash remains king, which is a significant factor working against Bitcoin in the current macroeconomic climate. Quote, in a time like this with so much uncertainty, I think people are looking to what they know, which is cash. I've got to pay my rent in cash. I've got to buy my food and my toilet paper with cash. They're not looking to hold a volatile asset. However, a good investment it might be in the long term. People are thinking very short term right now. I think that's one thing working against Bitcoin. Okay. I agree with him there. The people are really short term right now. And 
externalities in the world that are blowing up all around us are forcing blinders on the masses of people. It's not their fault. The, the externalities are huge. Now we've got another one. This shit going on in Minneapolis right now is more explosive than I think we give it credit for, not only because of what it is, and it was sort of like, seems to be, if not the last straw, damn close for a cop killing a guy in broad fucking daylight. I mean, we've been dealing with this for a while. People have been getting more and more pissed off. So if this isn't the last straw, maybe it's just next to the next to the last straw. But coming off the edge of this pandemic, trillions of dollars being printed, worldwide unrest, China and the whole Hong Kong deal. Dude, yeah, short term. People are thinking short term right now. I don't know how long that's going to last. Neither does Jesse Powell. Now, where I disagree for, with Jesse Powell, dude, Bitcoin's not going to be $1 trillion a piece. It may have a, like, I mean, I certainly hope it surpasses $1 trillion in total market capitalization. Yeah. But $1 trillion a coin, do the math. 21 million coin times $1 trillion. Bad math, bro. Bad math. Whatever, SEC orders ICO startup to return 25.5 million to investors. <laughs> oh God, just <laughs> the United States Securities and Exchange Commission has ordered cryptocurrency firm Bitclave to re return $25.5 million to investors. May 28th announcement, the SEC announced charges against the California-based cryptocurrency startup. The regulator found Bitclave to be responsible for selling unregistered securities, like Ripple, in its initial coin offering. Chief of the SEC Enforcement Division Cyber Unit, Christina Littman, commented, quote, issuers of securities, traditional or digital, must comply with the registration requirements of the federal securities laws. The remedies ordered by the commission will provide meaningful relief <clears throat> to investors in this unregistered offering, end quote. <clears throat> The SEC said, quote, Bitclave agreed to settle the charges by returning proceeds from the offering and paying additional monetary relief to be distributed to investors through a fair fund. The firm agreed to pay disgorgement of $25.5 million prejudgment interest of $3.4 million and a penalty of $400,000 without admitting or denying the regulator's findings. Jesus. In October of 2017, Bitclave announced its plans to compensate internet users for their data, which could be used for advertisement targeting. The company also claimed that its system could allow for a reduction in the cost of online advertisement thanks to the elimination of middlemen. Bitclave hit its ICO hard cap at $25.5 million within just 32 seconds at the end of November 2017. <laughs> now the SEC concluded that the money raised by Bitclave through the sale of its consumer activity tokens cat uh, to about 9,500 investors, including some in the U.S., was an unregistered security offering. <clears throat> the regulator claims that the firm's promotional materials caused investors to expect token appreciation thanks to the work conducted by Bitclave. Quote, Bitclave planned to use the ICO proceeds to develop, administer, and market a blockchain-based search platform for targeted consumer advertising. Bitclave emphasized its expectation that the tokens would increase in value and took steps to make the tokens available for trading on third-party digital asset trading platforms after 
this ICO, end quote. The SEC published a framework to help market participants ascertain whether or not a digital asset is a security in April of 2019. According to those guidelines, when an asset is expected to appreciate thanks to work conducted by others, it can reasonably be expected to be a security. Dude, that's just the Howey test. We've had the Howey test forever. The fact that they had to republish the freaking text of the Howey test in April of 2019 shows just how stupid all the stuff in 2017 actually was. No, if I sell you anything and I tell you it's going to appreciate in value through my work, that fa- that's the failure of the Howey test or it passes. It depends on how you look at it. It's a security. It, it, it is. And if you haven't slayed the monster through intense decentralization, then if I were you, I'd tread lightly. Let's look at some market data. All right, here we all are looking at fake money. We've got cnbc.com forward slash markets, and it looks like it's not exactly a bloodbath, but it's not exactly pretty either. S&P 500 down almost half a point. NASDAQ up uh, a smattering. D, the uh, Dow Jones is down three quarters of a point. FTSE is down two and a half. The Nikkei is down a smattering. The Hang Seng is down three quarters of a point. Shanghai is up a quarter of a point. Uh, bonds are all down except for the UK 10-year, the Japan 10-year, and the German 10-year bund. Uh, Japan 10-year is out of negative territory yet once again. Hey, it's above zero, but the Bund 10-year is down to damn near minus half a percent on yield. Oil had a down day, but only by about a point. Its last was 33.5. Nat gas did have a down day of 3%. It's at 1.7. Gold's looking good. It's up 1.3%, and its last was $1,750. So there you go. Now, let's talk about some real money. How about we do that? Talk about some real money right here. Bitcoin is at 9393 Looks like our high. No, that's going to be our high. It looks like our low is going to be over at, yep, I'm going to call it. GDAX has it at 9378 bucks. That's tight, dude. That's like $20, $25 trading range there. 323000 were performed in the last 24 hours with about 13500 being performed per hour. Sub 1 million BTC being sent, 996000 over the last 24 hours with an average being sent per hour of 41 point, I'm sorry, 41511 BTC. Average transaction value is 3.08 BTC and the median transaction value continues to rise. BTC or about 507. Why is that number important to me, the median transaction value? In my opinion, it represents the every, you know, the every man, every woman transaction. Not an institutional transaction, not really traders. I look at it as people that are actually buying goods and services with Bitcoin on the open market. That's what I look at. That's how I view median transaction value. Doesn't mean I'm right. It's just how I look at it. And at 507 bucks per transaction, that's not bad. Honestly, block time is finally settled down back to 10 minutes. It's at 10 minutes and four seconds. 
We have 0.72 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and whoop did do 103 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. My fees, bruh. Minus 7.62% of hash rate in the last 24 hour has brought us sub 100. But dude, we're at 98.8 exahashes per second. Not not bad. I mean, shit, six months ago, we weren't, we weren't there. Yeah, a year ago, we were nowhere close to there. So when you see minus 7.6, understand that we're still, we're way up there, man. We're way up there. The GitHub last commit on the core repository was sometime this morning, meaning somebody did something on Bitcoin. Okay, stop with the there's no development on Bitcoin. It's a lie. Speaking of lies, Ethereum at 219, Bcash at 236, BSV at 188, Litecoin at 44.5, Ethereum Classic at 7, Dogecoin holding at 0.0025. 37,000 transactions in the last 24 hours comes real close to it beating uh, Ethereum Classic. It definitely beats Litecoin, but man, it's wiping the floor with Bcash. Dude, Bcash, Dogecoin is beating you by over twice the amount of transactions in a day period. So again, not investment advice, but if you're holding the bags... I'd get rid of them and just buy Bitcoin. Now, my node is showing a different hash rate for the daily average. Mine is at 105.5 exahashes per second. Weekly average is at 94.2 exahashes per second. And it looks like there's about 16,000 pending transactions in Mempool. Let's look at Clark Moody Bitcoin. Sorry, Clark Moody Bitcoin at bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard. Let's see what he says about Mempool. He has 17,000 transactions in his mempool, and that's representing 30 megabytes in size. Uh, let's see. Yep, that looks pretty. That actually looks pretty good. Now, getting into Lightning, uh, we have a total capacity of 919.3 BTC, giving us $8.67 million in capacity value. That's spread out over 7,050 nodes representing 35,500 channels. We have 407 BTC in the Tor side of the network, and that brings the percentage of the Tor capacity, well, it doesn't bring it anywhere. It's still holding stable at 44.3%, which is good. It's very good. And the number of Tor nodes is at 2,051, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Have you ever asked yourself what Bitcoin is? Dan Pena's got the answer. It's a Ruski conspiracy to fuck up the American economy and the world. Oh God, I love that one. Dan, you're always, always a, always a laugh, man. All right, Daily Hodel staff writing this one for Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. Undercover agents track Bitcoin wallets leading to arrest of New York City man in multi-million dollar scheme. Join those coins, people. After leaving a trail of digital evidence, an alleged scammer from New York City who used Bitcoin for illegal transactions is facing up to 20 years in prison. On Tuesday, the United States Attorney's Office of the District of Massachusetts charged Vitaly Antonenko with hacking, trafficking, and stolen credit card numbers and money laundering conspiracies for operating a criminal scheme involving Bitcoin payments, according to the indictment, and a Tenendinokio 
worked with collaborators to make online sales of stolen credit card data and personally identifiable information. He was arrested at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport in March of 2019. Quote, once a co-conspirator sold the data, Antonenko and others used Bitcoin as well as traditional bank and cash transactions to launder the proceeds in order to disguise their nature, location, source, ownership, and control, end quote. Anatonenko had flown in from Ukraine loaded with devices that held hundreds of thousands of stolen payment credit card numbers. Uh, following his arrest last year, his lawyer sought a psychiatric evaluation for their client on the grounds that he was unstable. <laughs> a report by his legal counsel, Sapone and Petrillo, LLP. <laughs> sorry, excuse me, pardon me, states that the defendant hinted that he was secretly working for the CIA, and he probably was. No, seriously, it wouldn't surprise me. According to the criminal complaint, quote, he had no identified source of income that would account for these large dollar Bitcoin transfers to and from wallets that he controlled or for substantial cash deposits into traditional bank accounts that he held during this period, end quote. An investigation led by undercover agents who were tracing transfers between two digital wallets that contained data on massive Bitcoin trans transactions totaling $94 million led them to Anatonenko. Senior Special Agent Peter Gannon of the Secret Service alleged in the complaint that Anatonenko controlled wallets that exchanged over $140,000 in illicit Bitcoin funds. If found guilty, he could face up to $250,000 in fines and $500,000 in fines for money laundering conspiracy, in addition to a sentence to up to 20 years in prison. Coin join. I'm just going to say it. If you're going to do illegal shit, then be smart enough to use the technology available to you to not get caught. You know what my dad always said? It's not illegal until you get caught. I was like, what? I was like a little kid, and even I'm going, huh? He's like, dude, we were watching the great movie called The Great Train Robbery with Sean Connery. If you haven't seen it, ballers movie, man. I think it was in the late 70s or early 80s that it came out. Anyway, I was I th I said something about them stealing all the gold on the train. And my dad just looked at me and he said, well, unless you get caught, it ain't illegal. Probably terrible advice, but still, it rings it rings in my head to this day. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you can't do the time, dude, don't do the crime. If you're gonna do the crime, at least take measures to not get freaking caught. Bitcoin is not anonymous and that's okay. That's a feature, not a bug. We don't really, at least me personally, I don't want to see everything shielded because then I can't verify $21 million as the cap. There are trade-offs, people. You cannot have everything all at once. You either know the limit of the amount of coin that can be produced, or you don't, and you get complete and utter privacy. Which one would you rather have? I need to know what my money's doing. There are outside projects that will help you mask what you're doing. I'm not saying go out and be a criminal. But even, I mean, even if you're not doing a damn thing <clears throat> that's even remotely illegal, your financial privacy is nobody else's fucking business, okay? If you can, coin join, mix, you know, maybe not, not uh, oh, oh God, I forgot one of the names of the 
I, I shouldn't be forgetting this name. It do, doesn't mean, you know what I'm talking about. If you want your privacy, go find it. You can find privacy on the side of Bitcoin. What we really need with Bitcoin is to always understand how many coin is actually available. Well, Adrian Zmunsky is writing this one for Cointelegraph.com, cryptocurrency documentary to air on Discovery Science Channel. This was written some sometime today. Quote, open source money, end quote, a documentary series on a crypto firm fully financed with cryptocurrency will air on cable television in the United States. Open source money, or rather, according to an announcement on May the 29th, Discovery Science will air the documentary series about Disney incubated blockchain company Dragon Jane on July the 4th. Open Source Money Series was jointly produced by media and technology firm Vision Tree and financed with over $1 million in cryptocurrency. Vision Tree is also behind the forthcoming motion picture Atari Fistful of Quarters, which was tokenized by T, uh, sorry, T0, the cryptocurrency wing of American retail giant Overstock. According to the announcement, this movie saw the participation of Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's production company, Appian Way. The documentary tells the story of the United States-based blockchain technology firm Dragon Chain, launched in 2017. Each episode focuses on the role played in the blockchain space by people like Patrick Byrne, Brock Pierce, God, Joe Roets, and companies such as Disney, Facebook, and more. Vision Tree founder J.D. Serafine commented, quote, We believe that bringing the open source money series to Discovery Science Channel is significant because it's the first crypto-funded project to launch on a worldwide cable network, and also because we're launching with a channel dedicated to innovative breaking news in the worlds of science and technology. Discovery Science's tech-curious audience is a perfect fit for our series series and we're looking forward to how audiences respond in quote since the publishing of bitcoin's white paper in 2019 public awareness of cryptocurrency and blockchain has come a long way from an obscure technology known only to information technology enthusiasts and cyber criminals come on coin telegraph it has since gained adoption and recognition from major public figures as Cointelegraph reported in April, Anthony Mackie, the actor who plays Hawkman in the Avengers movie, promoted Litecoin in a video published by Vanity Fair last year. In February, an episode of The Simpsons featuring Jim Parsons of Big Bang Theory explaining cryptocurrencies and how a blockchain works. An animated ledger in the episode says, quote, Each day I'm closer to being the cash of the future. Not in your wallet. I'm in your computer. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm going to just go ahead and call it bullish for Bitcoin, even though it's about this shit coin named Dragon Shane. Yeah, what are you going to do? CME Bitcoin options set new record in trading volume, though. Trading volume for CME's Bitcoin options have broken above $60 million with open interest reaching new highs. Tim Copeland writing this one for Decrypt.co. Sometime this morning, he says Bitcoin options trading on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange has just seen its best day of trading yet. According to data provider Skew, Trading volumes hit $60 million ahead. Wait, where was it? Ahead of the option expiry date today. However, up until that point, trading volumes have been very low, below $10 million per day. <clears throat> Open interest has been increasing too, breaking above the $200 million mark. Bye, bye, bye. This is the amount of Bitcoin held in the contracts that are set to expire. However, these are cash settled contracts, so no actual Bitcoin is passed between traders. CME also offers Bitcoin futures trading, which are set to expire today. 
According to the latest data, daily volume has now hit $483 million. Bye, bye, bye. While open interest is at $427 million. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Looking at all the Bitcoin future exchanges, volumes are up today at $14 billion. Bye, bye, bye. The majority of trading is on Binance, Huobi, and OKX, which have around $10 billion in trading volume between them. Bye, bye, bye. Bitcoin's price has been fairly stable today, up 1.6% in the last 24 hours. Bitcoin's current price is $9,400, having broken upwards through the $9,000 mark yesterday. Bye, bye, bye! Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Kramer. Cryptocurrency, uh, or rather Cointelegraph.com's Adrian Zmunsky also has this one. Oh, no, he doesn't have that one. I forgot to close that out of my tab browser. <laughs> You ready for some more clown show? Because Craig Wright loses his appeal against Bitcoin.com's Roger Ver. <laughs> Tim Copeland. Oh no, this is this is weird. Oh my God. Tim Copeland's writing this for Decrypt.co. Tim, you may want to make a correction in this because your uh, uh, subheader on or your sub uh, headline on this says. Coin Geek Chief Scientist Craig Wright lost his libel court case. Coin Geek is a rag made by that degenerate gambler Calvin Ayer. It doesn't do anything but spew bullshit. There's no science needed behind spewing bullshit. What Tim meant to say was in chains, chief scientist Craig Wright lost his liable court case against Bitcoin.com Roger, uh, founder Roger Ver. He appealed the decision, which he has now also lost. <laughs> this was written today. Self-proclaimed Bitcoin inventor Craig Wright has lost an appeal against Bitcoin.com founder Roger Ver. According to court documents, Wright sur- sued Ver on May the 2nd, which the latter appeared at a ca- Bitcoin cash meetup in London. Uh, he claimed that Ver had libeled him by calling him a fraud. Well, it's because Craig S. Wright is a fraud. There, I said it. There's a long-running dispute in the crypto community over whether Wright really is Satoshi Nakamoto. No, he's not. The pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. Critics say that he hasn't signed any of Satoshi's Bitcoin, which would count as strong evidence. In July 2019, court dismissed the lawsuit since Ver resides in Japan and the case was filed in London. He was ordered to pay 60 mil or 60,000 pounds in legal fees. Wright then appealed the decision, which he has now lost. Quote, I'm glad, but not surprised, Ver told Decrypt upon hearing the news. A spokesperson for Wright said, quote, we'll ask the lawyers for official comment. We really wanted to have somebody take up the challenge. Roger clearly wants to avoid this, and we can understand why. But luckily, we will have our day with Peter McCormick later this year. Jesus. We couldn't, uh, uh, to translate, we couldn't beat Ver, but that's okay because we're going to beat try to beat somebody else. This is your... Dude, whoa, man. God, that's just, there's some serious narcissism going on here, man. The the court case focused on the facts of the cases, including the damage to Wright's reputation. Yeah, there is none. Where the libel occurred. The main decision was where the case for the libel should be held. Quote, in my judgment, the evidence shows that England and Wales was not clearly the most appropriate jurisdiction to hear this claim, the decision stated. It pointed out that Ver's comments had a much greater reach into the U.S. than in the U.K. It also found that Wright didn't provide evidence that the majority of his business peers were in the UK. Further, the case did not make a decision on whether or not Wright is Satoshi. Quote, I should make it clear that this judgment does not address whether 
Dr. Wright, and he's not a doctor because he forged his uh, PhD, so keep that in mind, uh, does not address whether Dr. Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. This is because it was not an issue on the appeal the decision stated. Wright also filed lawsuits against four other individuals from the crypto community for making similar claims. He later dropped his cases against Blockstream CEO Adam Back and Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin and had his case against pseudonymous Bitcoin Bitcoiner Hodla not thrown out, although that case has now moved to Norway. Wright is still suing podcaster Peter McCormick, who resides in the UK. All right, so that's the end of the article. Uh, Vitalik was, uh, let's see, had his case against... Dropped his he didn't I don't I'm not sure if he dropped his case against Vitalik Buterin. I mean if if by dropped his case you mean abandoned, then yeah, he dropped his case, but not officially. He just stopped all you know notion of doing anything for the Vitalik Buterin case. It was an abandonment of case. It wasn't technically dropped, so there's that. Peter McCormick, out of all these people, Peter McCormick is really the only one that's in any kind of serious trouble. And he's not in any serious trouble at all. It's just that because Peter McCormick lives in the UK, and apparently so does Craig Wright, that there's, you know, that's probably the one that might get the most traction. But I fully expect Peter Peter McCormick to just wipe the fucking floor with Craig Wright. That fraud and liar at this point does need to go away. But spoiler He's not going anywhere, man. I hate to say it, but that's just the way it is. Nick Chong is writing this one for Bitcoinist.com. Sometime this morning, Bitcoin may surge as Chinese yuan gets fixed to lowest price in a decade. Unlike Bitcoin and other free markets, the Chinese yuan market is fixed and somewhat controlled by the country's central bank. As Wikipedia describes, quote, since 2006, the renminbi exchange rate has been allowed to float in a narrow margin around a fixed base rate determined with reference to a basket of world currencies, end quote. The People's Bank of China adjusts the rate in response to macro factors to ensure its economy is stable. Bitcoin stands to benefit from this as reports indicate that the official rate of the Chinese yuan has started to dive. The flagship cryptocurrency could act as a safe haven play should this continue. Bye, bye, bye! Due to the introduction and passing of a new security law in Hong Kong, tensions have grown between the U.S. and China. These tensions could aid Bitcoin higher in the weeks and months to come. The law's premise is to combat growing terrorism. Officials representing Beijing have said, yet many in Hong Kong and in the international community see it as a potential threat against the democracy of the region. Hong Kong was handed from the British to the Chinese in 1997 under the stipulation that Beijing would leave democracy in place until 2047. Hence, the recent law has been controversial, especially among Bitcoin holders. Members of the White House administration and their advisors, President Trump included, are mulling sanctions on Chinese companies. Nothing has been confirmed, but the threats of reacting strongly have affected global currencies. According to finance and foreign currency exchange Twitter account FX Hedge, China just set the yuan midpoint at the weakest level since February 27, 2008. Jeez. The offshore yuan market has reflected this decision, rallying to the weakest level since September of 2019. Twitter account Yuan Talks made this observation. The yuan slipping to these lows may aid Bitcoin's rally. Jeff Dorman, the CIO of Arca and a former investment banker at firms like Lehman Brothers and Citadel, recently wrote, quote, Narrative Watch in spring-summer 2019, the Chinese yuan fell to all-time lows 
versus the USD and contributed greatly to BTC appreciation. Conversely, when the yuan strengthened in the fall of 2019, BTC tumbled. Guess who's back to all-time lows? Oh, you dick. This was surely the case. The jury is out on exactly how exactly Bitcoin benefited from the trade war in 2019, but the idea goes that sanctions coincided with Chinese investors siphoning their money out of the country through BTC. This was implied by analyses suggesting the Bitcoin rallied in tandem with gold and other safe havens on President Trump announcements regarding tariffs. The correlation between the Chinese yuan sinking and Bitcoin rallying was also present in 2015 and 16 due to other macro factors. Placeholder capital partner Chris Bernsky suggested that a similar trend could happen again. Quote, if China's CNY continues to weaken against USD, then we could have a 2015 and 2016 repeat where BTC strength coincided with yuan weakness. Nice. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. This whole thing with China and Hong Kong is quite scary. Uh, And my heart goes out to all the Hong Kongers who are fighting for their freedom. But honestly, I don't know, man. You may just want to get your bags, sell all your shit for Bitcoin. And I don't know, put a seed, memorize a seed phrase, walk the fuck across border and get out. Seriously, man, there is nothing about China. I wouldn't even want to go visit China at this point. Screw that country. There's nothing but just weirdos and dictators. And you can say what you want about quote unquote dictators in the rest of the world. But China, jeez, scary shit. That's going to do it for the snooze you can use. Daily Train Wrecked brought to you by Cyrus.IsMoney.Eth on Twitter. The automatic hashtag Bitcoin emoji is propaganda that ruins the objectivity of any discussion surrounding BTC. It turns every tweet into subliminal advertising. It's counter to the ethos of crypto and should be optional. Dude, ain't nobody got time for that. I just, just the crying from the ETH heads just is, I don't know, man. If Cartman was here, he'd be like saying that their tears were delicious or something like that. But it's just this ongoing bullshit with this crowd and all the rest of the altcoiners. I just don't get it, man. Why do you cry so much? Dude, I mean, you're you're always going to find somebody dumber than yourself to hold your freaking bag. You can make money in the altcoin market because it's not going away until, I don't know, until the world looks level. I don't think the SEC is going to be able to get them all. And even if they get them all here, this, you, I mean, this, like we, this, we're almost, live in almost a borderless world when it comes to data and transmission of ideas and communication of value. If you want to go do it, go do it. But dude... Honestly, Bitcoin's the only real game in town. Anyway, that's your smoldering pile. Let's end it with a joke. Mm, Dad says, joke says, do you want to buy a broken barometer? No pressure. Ah, ain't nothing like a terrible joke. 
All right. It's possible I may be looking at a rooster. I know, I know out of six chicks that we got from Tractor Supply, one of them is bigger and has started to crow. Albeit, it has come to our attention through, you know, research that in an all-female flock, it is not uncommon for one of the females, especially like the biggest one, uh, to take on the duties of a rooster in protection, warning, uh, crowing, that kind of thing. So we're at 12 weeks on the chickens and looking uh, in through research as to how do you tell if you got a rooster or not? Because it can't just be by crowing. Um, I don't know. I'm still leaning towards it being female because of certain aspects, one of which is that she displays absolutely no, uh, oh God, it's it's like an extra talon that male chickens have on their claws. It's not, it's not called a talon. I can't remember what it's called right now. It's, but it's like, that's why you cockfighting. That's what the cocks use to scrape each other to death is this. Oh, it's a spur. That's what I'm looking at. It's a, it's a spur. It's on the back of their leg. As far as I can tell, she ain't got them. And I mean, these things are noticeable. It's not like a little bump or something like that. These things have a really sharp claw that is, does some quite a bit. It can do quite a bit of damage to humans and otherwise. That's one of the reasons. What, what, what one of the jobs of the rooster is to protect the flock, and its armament is this spur and the beak and some other claws and you know talons and whatnot like that. Anyway, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they may have missexed one of the poults at uh, the the people that were supplying tractor supply and I have a rooster on my hand, which would totally suck because it would be classified as a nuisance bird. And I really don't want my neighbors having to wake up at five o'clock because then they'll start calling me at five o'clock in the morning and I don't want to wake up either. So I would have to figure out a way to get rid of the bird by either destroying it and graduating it to so-called freezer camp or finding a farm, but dude, I live in a rural community. All the farms probably already have all the roosters they need. So dudes, it would be great if you could say a couple of prayers, keep your fingers crossed, because while you may go, what the hell, are you going to cry over it? No, I won't, but my daughter would. And by the way, this bird is gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous bird. And I would be sad if we had to destroy this bird for, even though we would eat it, definitely. But I just, I, and I also don't want to lose the potential of one out of six layers uh, for eggs because they only lay, you know, once a day. So a half a dozen a day seems like a lot. But when you start getting off into the distance, like next year, the year after that, it's not every day. It's maybe one every other day. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, keep your fingers crossed. And I mean, really, I just don't want it to die because I just don't want to see my, my daughter upset, even though hey, life happens and these are the lessons that we have to learn. But yeah, I also want the eggs and it's a beautiful bird and I don't like destroying beauty. Um, I think that's going to do it. I, shit, I guess I'll just see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.